How many of us have things in our past that we hope nobody else in this room ever finds out about? For some of us, (laughs) I see some people looking around. For some of us, you know, there's things that we did when we were a teenager that we have tremendous regrets about, don't we? There's some of us that maybe you rushed into a marriage early in life and, and you had a divorce that not many people know about. And you just assume they never did find out about it. Maybe there's somebody here that when you were in college, just for a, a moment you let your guard down, you got pregnant and you made the terrible decision, terrible mistake of having an abortion. For some of us, maybe it's a lot more recent than even that. Just a few years ago, maybe you got caught cheating on your taxes and, and you had to spend some time in jail or, or, or something like that. For some of us, maybe it wasn't something that we did. Maybe there's something terrible that's happened in your family. Maybe you, you hope that, that the people around you at your work or at church or your neighbors don't put two and two together as they hear your last name and they don't go, oh, oh you're so-and-so's daughter. Or, oh, oh, that was your brother in the paper that we read about. Maybe you were adopted by your family because your biological parents were on drugs and, and you don't want anybody to ever find out about that or whatever it might be. I would venture to say that every single person in this room has a past, don't we? That sometimes makes us feel so burdened and so guilty, and so ashamed, and so afraid for others to find out. And even though uh, through Christ, maybe even you found some victory in your life, maybe you wonder, will I ever be able to truly distance myself from those haunting memories? Well, today I want to talk to you about overcoming a shaky past. And we're going to look at Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. Now, as you turn to those verses this morning, you might be saying, are you serious, Pastor? We're going to study a list of names? Well, well, first of all, let me say the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is inspired by God. Every bit of it is here for a reason. Now, sometimes we might struggle. You read through Leviticus, you might say, I can't imagine why I've got to read these verses. But there is a purpose for every portion of God's Word. And you say, but yeah, but these are names. They're just a list of names. What am I supposed to get from that? We also don't need to forget that uh, Proverbs verse, chapter 22, verse 1 tells us that names are important. Names are valuable. Names, friend, don't miss this, for your own life even, names represent a person's life. When someone says my name, for good or bad, that brings an image to their mind, doesn't it? So every name in this list points to a story, a life that was lived for good or for bad. And you might be surprised to find out that the names that are mentioned here tell a bigger story, and that's what we want to focus on today. You see, we shouldn't forget that Jesus Christ is God. He has no beginning. He has no end. But in a human sense, since He came into this world at a particular point in time, Jesus had a family line, a family tree, just like you. Jesus had, in that sense, an ancestry. From the beginning of time, there were people who had been born. There had been people who died. There was more people who had been born, more who had died. And you could go back and trace. There were a list of people. There were real people. Names, yes, on a list. But real people who lived real lives. And eventually, that lineage came to the point where God Himself entered the world in that line. And for better or worse, Jesus 
had a family tree. And I believe that God probably included this, what we call genealogy, here in His Word for several reasons. But one big lesson that I believe we can learn from it and that we want to focus on today is that I believe it teaches us that God can help us to overcome a past that is not so great. So let's look at that together this morning. Jesus' family tree, first of all, tells us that God uses the unexpected. God uses the unexpected. Now, I'm going to be brave this morning. I'm going to read these names. I don't speak Hebrew, but uh, just bear with me, okay? Uh, They've been uh, translated into English, and we'll do our best, and you won't know any different because you don't know it either. All right, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, as we read these, some of you are going to recognize some of these names. Think about that. Or at least... Remind yourself, it's not just a list of names. These are real people. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nation, and Nation, the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, and Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, now I'm really getting into it, Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Atsor. Atsor was the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to the Messiah, now I can take a breath, 14 generations. Yeah, you can give me a hand, all right, all right. (laughs) Do you ever come to church and think to yourself, man, I feel so intimidated. I mean, I look around this room, and the people in this room look like they know what they're doing. They look like they've got it together. They know how to talk right. They know how to sit right. They know when to sit, when to stand, when to move, when to sing. They know the right things to pray, how to live. All those kind of things enter into our minds many times, don't don't they, when we come to church. And I just want to say to you as a side note here, I pray that that's not how you feel at New Hope. I think it's a natural inclination that we have when we come to church, maybe especially if you're just coming back to church, or maybe you're just getting to know about God. And that's a temptation that we have is to feel like maybe maybe that we're different than everybody else. But I just got to give you a little clue here. I'm the pastor of this church. I know me, and I know a lot about you and the people out there. And if I can just tell you, everybody here is just as messed up as you are. Amen? They just dress up real nice. But it's not hard to feel that way sometimes, isn't it? 
If you've not been to church before, or maybe if you're, you're just getting started back, or you're just beginning to renew a relationship with God, or, or just beginning to learn about Him, maybe you just kind of hope that God can bless you a little bit, but you can't ever see yourself as being near as far along as the rest of these people. But one of the things that we notice as we read these names is that it shows us that God uses people that we would not have expected for God to use. Now, I noticed several groups that would have been surprising. Now, even uh, 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 alarming, as you would have read this, and I emphasized some of that as I went through. Did you notice as I was reading, there were some, and so-and-so is the father, so-and-so, and so-and-so is the father, so-and-so. And then it was almost like there was like some commentary in the middle. Now, he didn't go off and, and spend a whole lot of time on things, but there was a couple of points in there where he kind of, so-and-so is the father, so-and-so, but there were some other points where he mentioned some other things, didn't he? First thing I noticed is that he mentioned some women. In verse 3, he mentions Tamar. In verse 5, he mentions Rahab and Ruth. In verse 6, Bathsheba. And in verse 16, Mary. This genealogy lists five women. Now, many times in ancient societies, people saw women as not high, as highly valued as men. Now, that's not the biblical worldview, and that's obvious by what's presented here. But many times, that's the way ancient societies saw ladies. That, coupled with the fact that there was no need to mention the lady because they saw the lineage as going through the father, would have all added up to the, to the reality that there would be no need, there would be no expectation that a lady would have been mentioned in this genealogy. It would have been very rare for that to happen. Yet in Jesus' family tree that's listed here, there are five ladies that are mentioned. That would have been very striking in the first century. In fact, you can almost see it alluded to as you read through these verses because if there's any commentary that's given, if there's any side notes, it's almost given to the areas where the ladies are mentioned. But there's something else interesting about these ladies. In the case of four of them, besides Mary, they also represented another unexpected group. Very unexpected. They represented Gentiles. There were many reasons that the Jewish people kept genealogical records. There were economic reasons, there were social reasons, there were religious reasons, family reasons. The Jewish people, though, had two primary reasons for having these listings of their family, and they kept up with it very clearly. The first reason was to keep family purity. It was very important for them to be able to trace back their heritage and to show that they were a Jewish person, that that's who their descendants were, to trace the continuity of their family. But one of the reasons that was so important was because they knew that the Old Testament had promised that one day someone was going to come. The Messiah was going to come. The Savior was going to come. And the Savior was supposed to come through the line of who? The line of David. So it was very important for them, one day when that Messiah came, one of the indicators that yes, he truly is the one that we were to look for was that you could very clearly, and they kept these records for that purpose, you could very clearly trace back, yes, this person can stake a claim as being in the house of David. They kept up with those records. In fact, uh, as a side note, I would just say to you, it's one of the things that ought to give you encouragement about the, the veracity of God's Word. You can trust the Word of God because until the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., just a few years later, they could have gone back and checked these records. They could have gone back and said, is this really true? Are these really the descendants? And the answer was, yes. Jesus came from the line of David. But when you consider all that, 
it's amazing that they would have included Gentiles because the purpose was to show the purity of their lineage, that they were truly the Jewish people. Both the ladies initially, then the children that they had with their husbands introduced into the Savior's lineage people that the Jewish people would have very much not expected to be a part of this lineage. You know, it might be that your family is not so bad. Your personal history is not so bad, but maybe, like the Gentiles, you just come from a a line of people that you just say, look, we just aren't the church-going type. I mean, in my family, we we just didn't talk about God. We didn't go to church much. I'll tell you, when I first started going to church... You've heard me share before, Shannon. You know, I started going to church with her and, and they'd stand up and they'd sing, uh, you know, verses uh, out of books and I'd never opened those books before, those hymn books. And, and I didn't know that, you know, as you read those stanzas that you start at the top line, then you go to the next one, do the top line, you go to the next one. I just thought you went right in a row and I was all confused. When to stand up, when to sit down. They didn't even have to look at their book. They had it memorized. And I remember that feeling of, you know, I... I initially at least, I didn't quite fit in. I didn't know all this stuff. I wasn't that kind of person. Even beyond that one, God called me into ministry. I had never been around pastors before. In fact, you want to talk about family trees. If you go back far enough in time in my family tree, you might find some North Georgia bootleggers in there somewhere. And I'm kind of kidding. (laughs) Kind of. A valid question that that I might ask, that you might ask, am I really the kind of stock? Do I come from the kind of people that God really works through? You know what the Bible tells us in this genealogy? I believe God's hinting something to us. In fact, we're going to see as we go a little bit further here. I, I believe it was more than a hint. I believe it would have stuck out to them. That's why we're studying it today. We, are, we, we don't have that perspective. It's important for us to realize as we read this passage, not to just rush through those names, because in the first century, when they read through these names, that would have stuck out to them like a billboard. They're not supposed to be there. Why are they there? God's got a message for us, friends. God uses the unexpected. Doesn't that bring hope to you? I may not be the kind of person that most people expect God to work through, but I can overcome that past because God uses people like me. But you know, it's not just that God works through people that we wouldn't expect. That's kind of neutral, isn't it? That's kind of tame. That's kind of, you know, I'm just not the kind of person that usually God works through. But it's actually much more serious than that. This genealogy, this family tree shows us that Jesus' family was full of outright sinners i mean all of them had their faults didn't they the bible says in romans 3 all of us every person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of god all of us have missed god's purpose for our life in some way or another but many of them had had really gone beyond that kind of uh, soft viewpoint and had really gotten deep into sin And some of those who had gotten deep into sin had sinned and gotten right with God. And some of those who had gotten deep in sin just said, I could care less about God. Jesus had people in his family who could care less about God. When you go to Jesus' family reunion, there would be people there that you would go, ooh, I didn't know they were going to show up. The Jesus' family tree tells us we can overcome our past because God can bring victory in spite of sin. Friends, you hear that? God can bring victory in spite of sin. Let's look at some examples of that in Jesus' family. Some of these people 
were godly people, but they made huge mistakes. They had character flaws that caused them to make some major choices that did not honor God. Abraham, I mean, you go all over the world today, almost, you can almost go anywhere in the world and say the name Abraham and people know it's a fulfillment of God's promise. God has blessed Abraham and his, and his uh, descendants. He's the father of faith. But Abraham, the father of faith, outright lied to a king about his wife because he was a scaredy cat. And, and he tried to help out God's plan because God had made a promise to him and he didn't see the promise coming about. Here's Mr. Faith guy, remember? And he couldn't wait. So he went about it himself and had a child through another lady to fulfill God's promise. Wow. Wouldn't you like to call him your pastor? What about Jacob? Jacob, I mean, we're talking about heroes here, right? Jacob, if there were used car dealers in the Old Testament, Jacob would have been the king. No disrespect if you sell cars, okay? I'm sure you're different. But Jacob was a manipulator. If, if there was a deal going on, Jacob would have been out on top. I mean, somehow, Jacob, uh, after the deal was over, everybody always wondered, how did he do that? How did he end up getting more than me? He was a swindler. David, a man that the Bible says was a man, and this is true. I mean, this is true. He was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. He had a heart for worship and, and meeting with God. This man had an affair and covered up that affair by having the lady's husband killed in battle. Wow. I mean, you know, sometimes we read these stories and we're like, you know, yeah, I've heard that one before. And so we forget about it. Think about it in real life today. What if a person that we looked up to, a godly person, a person known for worship and leading others in worship, what if that person had an affair and then had somebody murdered to cover it up? Good grief. That is messed up. What about Solomon? Solomon had everything. He had everything and he lost his focus on godly pursuits. How sad it is. You read the book of Proverbs, the, the greatest collection of wisdom maybe the world has ever known, the book of Proverbs. And then you read Ecclesiastes and you see the sad commentary of a man who had all of that wisdom but lost it on worldly pursuits and ended up in despair and depression at the end of his life. Did you know that there are no perfect people in this world? Did you know that? Even good, godly people make mistakes big mistakes but you know what some of them yes yeah, some of them were godly people and they made big mistakes but many of them appear to be flat out ungodly sinful people that did not walk with god let's read a couple now look look at this story verse three judah was the father of perez and zerah by tamar well let me tell you about judah genesis chapter 38 tells us that judah went looking for a prostitute, and he ended up having relations with his daughter-in-law even though he didn't know about it. He didn't know it was his daughter-in-law. Then later, when he found out that his daughter-in-law got pregnant, he wanted her to be punished for her immorality until he found out that he was the father of the child. That's better than any soap opera you can watch, isn't it? The two children that came out of that beautiful relationship were Perez... And Zerah in verse 3. And then Perez is mentioned there as, as continuing Jesus' lineage. That's in Jesus' family, history. What about Manasseh? He's mentioned there 
uh, down in verse 10. Manasseh, 2 Kings chapter 21. Manasseh is called by the Bible an evil king. He ruled for 55 years. The Bible says Manasseh did evil in the sight of the Lord. Manasseh was probably one of, if not the worst king that God's people ever knew. He not only did not encourage the people to worship God, he actually turned them against God and encouraged them by building uh, places of worship to the false gods of the peoples around them. And his son Ammon was just like him. This is in Jesus' family tree. We've already noted that the women that uh, we talked about uh, earlier would not have been included. But listen, if you're going to include some ladies, wouldn't you include some great matriarchs like Rachel and or like uh, Rebecca and Sarah and, and all those and Leah? Now, they had their own struggles, but, but hey, the one he listed here, remember verse 3, Tamar? She's the one who tricked her father-in-law into having an incestuous relationship. Rahab, what was Rahab? She was a Gentile prostitute. If you were going to list out your family, hey, the Savior has come. Here's the Savior. Here's where I come from. Would you have included a Gentile prostitute if you were a Jewish person? What about Bathsheba? And just to show you that I believe that this is not stretching it a bit, look at verse 6. David was the father of Solomon. Wouldn't that have been enough? Wouldn't it have been enough? Just stop right there. David was the father of Solomon. Then Solomon was the father of, what do you say? David was his father of Solomon by Bathsheba. Wouldn't that have been enough? David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba. It's almost like a poke, isn't it? Who had been the wife of Uriah. Bathsheba's the one who had had that affair with David and whose husband was killed as a result. Well, there's a bunch of winners for you, huh? In <laughs> your family. You know, before today, maybe before you read that, before you've thought about this, maybe you've said to yourself, you know what, there is no hope. Friend, listen, there, you may, there, there, I'm sure there are people here this morning who are thinking, there is no way. I'm hoping that I might get a glimpse of God's work in my life. I'm hoping that I might can be on the fringe of God's work, that maybe He can do something. But really, I don't ever believe that there's any hope for God to work in the likes of me and my family. My granddad killed a guy trying to break into his house, you might say. Or my aunt used to work in a, in a strip club. Or my mom cheated on my dad with her uh, best friend's husband. Or, or there's been rampant abuse or violence in my home ever since I can remember. I cannot imagine that there's any way that God could work in the mess of my home and my background. There's just no way that we're that kind of people. That's not what the Bible teaches. You ought, you ought to be encouraged by reading this genealogy. God can bring great victory in spite of sin, even in a person like me. When you read this genealogy, it ought to shock you and it ought to encourage you. You know what makes me sad is so many times when I share with people, sometimes people think, you know, you're just Mr. Optimistic or you're just Mr. Cheerleader, you know, for God. You just, you know, yeah, you're positive and everything. Yeah, God can work in somebody like you. Yeah, I know you're saying that, but it's not really true, is it? This is not me. This is God's Word. No matter who you are, where you're from, the Bible says there is no depth that you have gone that God cannot pull you out of it. And the only thing that would keep you from experiencing that is you not believing it. So now it's back on you. God has provided everything you need to get out of your situation, but you're going to have to trust Him. And all that points to a final thing that I want to mention from these verses that you and I need to know and be encouraged by. Number three, God has a plan 
Man, this gets me excited. God has a plan that cannot be stopped. I remember when I was in college, and something about these verses I remember for the first time, it just really struck me. I think I was studying the Old Testament. I was studying some of this in relation to that. And I remember just thinking, I think the reason I was thinking about it is because I was studying the Old Testament. I was studying the line through which uh, Jesus was going to come through. And, you know, as you go back and you look at that, you read the Old Testament, you go, you know what? I mean, God promised from the beginning that he was going to save us. God prom- from the very beginning, when sin started, he promised. He began showing us. He began putting hints out there. He began saying to us, I'm going to send the Savior. I'm going to send the Savior. And you know what? Throughout history, you can trace that. If you read the Old Testament, you need to read the Old Testament, by the way. As you read the Old Testament, you can see God did this. And then somebody blew it. Oh no, it's in, it's in jeopardy. It may not happen. But then God restored and God did this. And then what happened? Somebody blew it. And then God did this. And then somebody, in fact, in this story right here, remember I mentioned Manasseh? Remember I mentioned Ammon in verse 10 there? Manasseh and Ammon were terrible. They, they absolutely just shook their hand in God's face. And then it says Ammon was the father of Josiah. I went back and read about Josiah this morning in 2 Kings. 2 Kings says that Josiah, there was not a king like him before him. There was not a king like him after him. He was one of the greatest, if not the greatest king that the, the God's people ever had. He started when he was eight years old. And he ruled, I think it says, for 31 years or some, 30-something years. And he restored the worship of God. And God said, because of your granddad, Manasseh, I'm going to judge. I'm, I'm going to bring some judgments upon my people. But Josiah, because I've seen your heart, you know what Josiah did when he became king? He said, hey guys, why don't you go clean out the temple? It's kind of dusty in there. And when they cleaned it out, guess what they found? They found the Bible. And it was dusty because nobody had read it in a long time. And they shook the dust off and, they, and Josiah said, guys, read that to me. Tell me what it says. And when Josiah heard God's word, he fell on his face. He said, God, dear God, what, what have we done? How have we turned against you for decades because of his family? God's people had turned against God. Josiah said, not on my watch. Starting now, we're going to turn back to the Lord. And there was pattern after pattern like that. Good ones, then bad ones. Oh good, the hope's restored. Then oh no, it's lost again. And you just wonder, could it possibly make it? Would the Savior ever really come? I think God shows us that for a reason. Number one, His plan is not dependent upon man to keep it going. Aren't you glad for that? Have you ever been disappointed by people? by somebody close to you, or maybe by a spiritual leader, by a pastor, or, or by a church family, or whatever. Well, I had so much hope. I had so many dreams. God's plans is not dependent upon any person to keep it going. And nothing, not your little mess-ups, not your big mess-ups, listen, bigger than that. Man, you're about to hear some thunder strike here. Not all the powers of darkness unleashed against God can even remotely stop His plan. You want evidence of that? Look at the cross. On the cross, sin gave its best effort. And it was a good one. It took the death of our Savior. It would have eternally condemned me and you to hell forever and ever. And Jesus pretty quickly dispatched of it and rose victorious. I mean, he burst out of that grave not even with just the slightest sign of defeat. 
He has won. He is victorious. He not only has canceled it out, he has completely overcome the power of sin and darkness. Isn't that powerful? Now listen, don't give yourself so much credit. If sin and death and hell on the cross couldn't keep Jesus down, then nothing that you can do can keep his power back. Amen? Maybe your family, maybe your life, maybe it has been pretty rotten. Maybe it is a pretty big mess. But listen, let's put it in perspective. When we're going through things in our life, don't we usually think this is the worst thing that anybody's ever been through? Don't we think that? What you're really saying is it's the worst thing I've ever experienced. But Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9 says there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, there's nothing that God said, well, I've never seen that one. Well, you know what? That's good. You came up with something new. <laughs> It's just different names, different places, different dates in history, different cultures maybe, but God's seen it over and over again, and He's shown over and over again, God can work amazing things out of amazing messes. I want to share a couple of verses with you. Romans 5 verse 20 is an awesome passage. Actually, I want to encourage you to go back and read Romans 5, because really I'm just going to mention uh, uh, the part that's really the core part here, but it's, it's built all throughout this Romans 5. But Romans 5 verse 20 says this. The phrase is this. It says, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now friend, I want you to just grab hold of that for just a minute. As bad as sin can get. And let's think about that for just a minute. How bad can sin get? How bad is it? Some of us in this room Your life has been torn apart by sin, hasn't it? Maybe it's been your choices. Some of the things that I mentioned earlier as we started the message, some of those choices you made earlier in life, or maybe some choices you've made recently, what do those things do? They tear up homes, don't they? They cause you to lose your job. They cause you to have doubts and frustration and confusion. Many of the, uh, the, the uh, I believe, mental struggles that people have today, the mental and emotional struggles that so many people go for, go to the doctor for medicine about. And I think it's okay to have medicine, but I think many times what we're treating is spiritual issues. We have the choices and the decisions that we've made have so affected our lives. How deep, how terrible has sin affected our lives? How deep are your hurts and your scars this morning? They're serious, aren't they? Sin is serious. It cuts deep and hard. So with that in mind, I want you to think about this. Where sin increased, and it does, doesn't it? Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I want you to begin to get a picture of God. As bad as sin is, and it is terrible, it has destroyed so much in my life. The choices I've made and the choices others have made that have affected me. As bad as that is, God doesn't just negate sin. He doesn't just kind of bring it back up to even. Do you understand that? It's not that we were here, sin dropped us way down, and God gets us back up to level. You know what God does? God overwhelmingly overpowers and conquers sin to the extent that as bad and as deep as sin could go, God gets us back to where we used to be, and is it possible He can even take us to brand new heights? And now listen, don't give sin too much credit. It says it right there in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Hey, man, you know what? Let's give sin some credit. It got so bad so God could... No, 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 no. Sin is terrible. It's never a good thing. 
But God is so mighty that what looks like a defeat, He blasts out of the water. And somehow, I don't know how He does it, but according to God, somehow He can take that terrible gut-wrenching defeat and He can take us to new heights we've never been before and show His amazing power over that sin. Isn't that awesome? God's plan cannot even remotely be stopped. It's an amazing thing. When a jeweler wants to show off a precious diamond, what do they put it against? They put it against a black backdrop. Because sometimes that black drop is the place where that diamond can look the sharpest. Let me give you another verse that kind of highlights this. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Specifically in relation to what we're talking about. Isaiah 11, verse 1. There are many passages in the Old Testament that predicted that Jesus was going to come. But then it says in Isaiah 11, 1, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. In a prophecy about the Savior, now don't miss this, I believe what we're talking about here is alluded to in this passage. I think this verse in Isaiah hints that, that all along God knew that His hope and His plan would be threatened by our failures, even to the extent that He could call Jesus the stem or the branch of Jesse. The words mean a little twig, okay? So Jesse, who's mentioned here and also in Matthew chapter 1, had a son named David. David, remember, was the one through whom the Messiah was supposed to come. David was supposed to be, in that sense, the tree trunk. I mean, when God does His work, it's tree trunk size. Amen? David was the tree trunk. But if you can just picture throughout history, as God's plan was working out, every time God would start building that tree, what would we do? Chop, chop, chopping it down, right? And you just wonder, is that tree ever going to grow? To the extent that by the time God's hope got to us, instead of being a trunk, it looked more like a twig. Kind of sounds like the Christmas story, doesn't it? Did Jesus come into this world looking like a powerful tree trunk? No, it looked very humble, his beginnings. And there's many passages in the Bible that describe him in that kind of way. But don't miss this. Ultimately, what appeared so tender, just a little branch, what appeared so fragile, so so close to dying out, turned out to be, quite surprisingly, the strongest place in history. And it's through that one who appeared so humble, but who in fact was the strongest of all, that actually God has brought about amazingly and provided for us eternal life. Make no mistake about it. God's plan, He may, be, he may appear down sometimes, but He is not out. God's plan will not be stopped, not by me, not by you, not by anyone or anything else. What we're talking about here ought to get you excited today. I hope it does, friend. Though you and your family may not appear very strong and mighty or impressive or very likely for God to work in, the promise is to you and as the Bible says to everyone who believes, you could be headed Toward some great things with God. But you're going to have to trust Him. You're going to have to believe that that's true. It also tells us this. Your past, <clears throat> listen, your past does not disqualify you from experiencing God's work in your life. Now certainly, there are consequences to our decisions. 
And I don't know what God's going to do with your consequences. Sometimes, by His grace, God removes consequences. Sometimes He does that. But don't bank on it. (laughs) Most of the time, God allows the consequences to play out. He just gives us the grace to deal with them. But in the midst of doing that, He does turn what appeared to be detrimental into great victory. It also tells us that God is not depending on you for his work to make. And aren't you glad for that? Good grief. How do I stand up in front of these people this morning and give a message from God? I'm glad God's not depending on me. (laughs) I mean, to be honest with you, I've heard some pretty bad messages before that changed my life. I mean, if I just evaluated the preaching, I'd say, (laughs) that didn't take a lot of time to prepare, but God was in it. Amen? You ever had that happen? That brings me comfort. Because I did put a little time into this. <laughs> God, would you use my feeble efforts? Don't let me block what you're... He said, Robbie, just, you know, you chill out. I'm going to do my work today. You just listen to me. Doesn't that encourage you? Parents, am I messing up with my kids? Am I getting this right? Am I doing anything helpful for them? And God just says, you just keep your eyes on me. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to take what looks like a little sprig... I'm going to make a mighty tree trunk. Aren't you glad that God's grace is bigger than man's sin? Grace's goodness is better than sin's badness. That gets me excited. This world is hard, isn't it? It's hard. It hurts. And sometimes I get upset about that. I hate sin and what it's done to my life and to yours. But I am not afraid. Because my Savior so powerfully overpowers the effects of sin, man, we got some great things. As bad as our sin is, if He's going to overpower that, we must have some great things. Amen? And the last thing is this. If your ancestors, let's make it a little closer than that. Some of us in this room, out of respect for your parents, you may not ever say this because you want to honor them as your parents. But some of you had some pretty tough deals. Maybe your dad mistreated you. Maybe your mom abused you. Maybe somebody didn't fight for you. Maybe you had a brother that that did some things that were wrong. Or your sister, or your cousin, or your husband, or your kids. You've got people all around you that do not love God. You know what the Bible tells me in that genealogy? I do not have to be defined by the people before or after me. Amen? Friend, I'm going to tell you something. I really believe the difference in people being used by God or not is that some people believe He can use them and others won't. It's not your pedigree. It's not your upbringing. All those things can be helpful. But listen, if you would say, i got to be honest with you, I struggle because, Robbie, as I look back, I've never had a godly influence in my family. As far back as I know. It might surprise you when you get to heaven. You might have a pastor back there somewhere, a missionary or somebody that loved God. You might have a great, 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 great grandma that prayed for you. Wouldn't that be awesome to find out in heaven? I believe it's probably true for many of us. But whether you ever see that or not, I've just decided in my family, you know what? We're going to be the last stop on that bad bus. Amen? I mean, listen, I do not have to be defined by the decisions before me. I do not have to pass that on to my kids. I'm going to stop it right now with God's help. And friend, there's nothing getting in your way except for you believing God, having that today. You can overcome that past that's not so great. And Jesus' family tree gives us hope.
his family was just as messed up as yours. <laughs> his life wasn't as messed up as yours. And that's why we put our trust in him. Would you do that today?